0: So, But today, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to share with you a story of Christmas gloom. And I'm going to share with you a story that doesn't necessarily seem like it relates to Christmas, but if you give me a chance and hold on to the very end, I promise you it does connect with Christmas. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Kings chapter 16. And we're going to be looking at verses five through seven today, and uh, this coincides. We're going to be looking at two different passages. We're also going to be looking at Isaiah chapter nine, verse one to seven, and so they're both the same story, but they're told in two different passages from told told different perspectives. So, just uh, as you're turning there, I will. Uh, I will. Uh, give you a little bit of backdrop for this uh, story, just so you're not lost. So as a church, we've been going through the series of Esther. We just finished Esther, and Esther takes place in a time in Israel's history where they lost their sovereignty as a nation. As Babylon and Assyria have come in, and they have uh, pillaged the, the countries and taken them over and conquered them, and uh, for, a, for a number of years... Israel existed under the control of different superpowers. This story, however, happens just before that happens. And in this state, what you need to know is that Israel was divided into two separate and very different nations. Israel was to the north, and, uh, and Judah with the, to the south, uh, with the capital of Jerusalem. And there was a lot of division between the two, a lot of division in religiousness or spirituality, a lot of division, um, a lot of distrust, and a, a lot of, like, they didn't really like each other a whole much, even, even though that they were from the same nation. So this is actually a story of how one of the two countries falls, and it's actually a story of how Israel falls, and so we begin in Second uh, Kings, chapter 16. And what you need to know about this is there's an, there's a king by the name of uh, uh, Azaz, and he's not really a particularly great king. But what you need to know, just uh, just to start the story off, is that Israel decides to pick a fight. With their, uh, with their with their with uh, their neighbor Judah, it says this. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah the son of uh, Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and besieged Asa. And so, what winds up happening is they go to war against their own brother. And what the scripture says is they're not able to overcome or defeat Judah. The reason why, though, is because Judah. Decides that they are going to bribe Assyria to fight Israel. So Assyria is this great superpower. And what winds up happening in the text is that it says the king went in verse 7, he says this. He says, So Hazza sent messengers to uh, the king of Assyria, saying, I'm your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of King Assyria and the hand of the king of Israel, who were attacking me. As I took all the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and presented it to the king of Assyria. So here's what happens, okay? Israel decides, I don't really like Judah so much, so I'm going to go and I'm going to besiege our fellow countrymen, Judah. So they go and do it, and the king goes... I need some help fending off the Israelites. So instead of turning uh, turning to God, what he does is he goes to a, a foreign superpower and he bribes them with a lot of money. He takes all the furnishings, all the treasures out of his own palace, and he also goes into the temple and he takes all the um, stuff that is worth monetary value inside God's place, inside the temple, and he gives it over in order to bribe Assyria to go fight this war for him. And so what winds up happening in the story is that Assyria agrees. It says this in the text, is that in, in the next verse it says, and, and the king of Assyria listened to him. And so what winds up happening is Assyria then goes and attacks Israel. And the king, it says this in the next text. uh, The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Kerr, and he killed Risen. And so what winds up happening is this is the first attempt or the first beginnings of the nation of Israel in exile. So Judah is overtaken by Babylon, but Assyria is overtaken earlier by, or Israel is taken over by Assyria earlier. You know what a crazy thing about the story is? Is that it's actually predicted that it would happen in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 through 9 actually predicts that Judah falls to Babylon and Israel falls to Assyria. And as you can see it in the text here. So, right here is the text that we just read. And right here is that exact same story in Isaiah 7. And then 7 through 9 actually is this prophecy. It's, it's made by a man named Noah, who is Isaiah, who is considered one of Israel's most, most famous prophets. And he makes this grand prediction that because of all of Israel's um, sin and all of Israel's brokenness and all the evil that is going on, God is going to remove his hand of protection over those two countries, and he's going to let them get carried into exile. We all know that. That's what happens. And so what winds up happening is that's a, uh, it's, it's a story of gloom. It says this in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, talking about it. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and the what? Gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. I want you to highlight the word gloom there. that This is a time of despondency for Israel. It's a time of brokenness. It's, it's a time where the worst of the worst of the worst happens. It's a time of destitution. It's a time of desolation. It's a time of destruction where your home country and everything that you loved and everything that was that you hold dear was actually taken away from you. But then something interesting happens in the text. And I want you to catch this. It says this in verse 9, verse 1. Say it with me. But there will be no more for her who is in anguish. So he and he says this going on. But there will be no more gloom for who is, is in anguish. That's the nation of Israel and Judah. In the former time, he brought into content the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphrodite. But in the later time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of nations. So I've highlighted this because this is super important. What he's saying, though, is there, there's going to be no more gloom. And he said, here's what happens. is He's, he's, he's referencing two regions, Zebulun and Naphrodite. Now, when you and I read that in our Bibles, you might be like, okay, well, what's the big deal? That's not really anything specific. It's just, okay, it's there, moving on to the next part. But what I want you to understand here is that these two regions, Zebulun and Naphtali, were the first and worst regions to get hit by the Assyrian invasion. So Assyria comes in, and the very first area that they see to destroy is both Zebulun and Naphtali, actually, sorry, were the, uh, the first regions to get hit. And all the full force and all the desolation and all the might of Assyria came down the heaviest right here. It was one of the most broken and desolate areas you could imagine. If you want to have a word picture, just kind of think like a post-apocalyptic wasteland is what they did to this country, these regions. And what Isaiah is saying here is that this is probably the gloomiest, darkest, most depressing part of the entire invasion that happened right here, the worst of the worst, the biggest The bombs, the the most atrocities happened right here first, and it happened the worst here. And Isaiah is coming out to say that there will be no more gloom out of this area because someone, or what do I say, the darkest, fiercest, and most violent destruction occurred in this area. And the text says that someone will come out to restore light. It actually goes on to say this something good is going to come from the place that was the first and worst hit. So, is everyone following me so far? Okay. So, Israel's a nation, Assyria comes in attacks, and the first and the worst area to get attacked was this area. That's really important. I really want you to hold into that because of what I'm going to say next. Something good is going to come from that place that was the first and worst hit the most desolate, darkest place, something amazing was going to happen. It says this in Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walked around in great darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of darkness on them saw something that shined. Okay. And so what happens is, is that Isaiah was able to see beyond the tension and anxiety of his day. In fact, he saw that there was a great land that was oppressed by war and false religions and depravity and and something unusual was awakening in the future, that there was going to be a shining light out of the gloom. Something was going to come along or specifically someone was going to come and lift people out of that gloom. Isaiah goes on to say this, And this is a very famous verse. You will read it with me. One, two, three. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. All right. So, so far what happens in the story? Israel attacks Judah Judah bribes Assyria, Assyria comes and takes away uh, the people of Israel. And there's great darkness, there's great destruction. And then Isaiah makes this promise, he says, listen, it's it's a time of gloominess, it's a time of uh, darkness, but I promise you that someone is going to come out and he's going to bring light in the darkest area. And we're going to call him a wonderful person, right? That's what the text says. I have no doubt that many of you have had children. And when you had your children, you said that they were wonderful. Amen? At the beginning. Then they became teenagers. When you read that this person will be called wonderful, that doesn't mean what you think it means. In the Hebrew language, the phrase wonderful doesn't mean that. It means beyond understanding. I don't know if you remember the story of Samson, but his, but his father and mother uh, were, uh, had an angel visit to them. And originally, Samson's mother was never able to have children. And the angel, it says this, and the angel of God appeared to her. Sounds a little bit like the Christmas story, doesn't it? And he announced to her that she would bear a son and, his, and, his, and that his son would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Her father asked the angel what what his name is, so that when his words come true, they might honor him. And here's the response that the angel of the Lord gave to him. Why do you ask my name, seeing it is too wonderful? And then he ascends to heaven. And then the father falls down on his face to the ground and says says to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. Wonderful means greatness. It's beyond human understanding and so the author of the story is saying there's going to be someone that is going to lift up the gloom and he is going to be so great that is beyond understanding he's going to be called the counselor and you and i shouldn't read that and think of therapist you should more think of a counselor as in terms of a political counselor um Listen to Psalms uh, 33, verse 11 and 12. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. In other words, the nation who has God as its counselor will not fail. This person will be called mighty God. Whoever this person is will be called mighty God. The term here is El Gabor, God the Mighty One. The basic word, root word of Gilbor is almost always associated with warfare and battle. And that is the one who is strong and prevails over his enemies in his fight. Mighty warriors were men of exploits and heroes and champions. And they would be called Gabor. But when we but we do know that when the word Gabor gets attached to God, it means that he has unlimited power. That he is the ultimate champion in battle. No weapon raised against him shall prevail. He will be called an everlasting father. And Isaiah has in mind that this child will be the father of all eternity, that we will be saved through him. He will be called a prince of peace. And I've always thought this is a weird one. Why would you call this person a prince of peace and not a king? Well, here's the answer. It's a little bit technical, but I'll give it to you. When prince is in plural in the Bible, it refers to leaders or chieftains. But in the singular, and that's how it's used here, it refers either to military commanders or even captains of field or battle or a mighty, mighty champions of armies. In this case, Isaiah pictures that the child to be born will be the supreme military commander of an army of the Lord. So if you put all that together, you can understand why Isaiah says that the increase of his government and peace will be on his shoulders. And so what he winds up saying is, if I was just to summarize it, is someone's going to rise whose greatness is beyond understanding, whose counsel stands the test of time, someone who is going to be the ultimate champion, and someone who is the supreme of God, of the commander of God, will rise up from the first and worst place that's hit. That's Zephalom and Naphrodite, And is going to lift the gloom for the land. Now, in case you haven't got it yet, who am I talking about? Jesus. Oh, come on, guys. you got to say, it. it's Jesus. Right? <laughs> This prophecy is is made about Jesus. So in summary, what winds up happening is Isaiah says, hey, Assyria and Babylon are totally going to decimate, destroy, and just wreck everything. And it's going to be nothing but the darkest, most gloomiest, grossest, de- Demonic, gross, just like the worst thing that you can happen in the place of the earth. That's what's going to happen to Israel. It's just going to be an awful place. But then someone, Jesus, is going to rise out of that and he's going to save his people from the gloom. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 4. This talking about Jesus. And leaving Nazareth, he went into Capernaum by the sea in the territory of where? Zebulun, and Naphtali. That place where I told you that just got hit. So that the word of God, prophet Isaiah, might be fulfilled. And then he quotes what I just quoted you. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Thank you. Oh, you guys are, you guys are so gracious. The way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentile, or the Gentiles, the people in the dwelling in the darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of the death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. So here's, do you understand what I'm saying? I just, I just told you, I just explained to you, a biblical prophecy made about Jesus. And I want you to make this observation. Here's the observation I made. Is that Jesus begins his public ministry exactly in the very first place. Israel ceased to be a nation. And I think that is very telling because the coming of Jesus is supposed to symbolize and thine hope in the world that all, all that that all is not lost that we all hope and that's why Christmas is so hopeful. This actually tells us two very important things about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the first is that Jesus began his ministry in the area in the geographical region that was the most hardest hit and the darkest hit in. And, and, and he began his ministry in the darkest area. Jesus began his ministry in the very same place that was first and worst hit. Healing began in that darkened area. Imagine how, how, how much traumatizing it would be for the people that lived in Zebulun and Naphtali. The land that was lost in false teaching and adultery. This place is where Jesus performed the greatest miracles: cleansed the lepers, fed the poor, and he healed the sick, and he cast out demons, and he raised the dead, and he preached that the kingdom of God was among them. That's what Isaiah saw in that region that would be later named Galilee. Isaiah was able to see a situation in which the land was so, and in, in where the land was so ho- horrible that. The, the northern tribes of Israel would, would be completely destroyed by the Assyrians. The gloom would be overwhelming. But in this very place, the greatest light that humanity has ever seen would appear. And that's what we celebrate here in Christmas. The fact that Jesus saw that a land oppressed by war and false religions and depravity and despair was going to have an unusual awakening in the future. A shining light in the land of gloom. The gloom of a world of a war that had suffered terribly over sin in that dark place called Galilee. That's where Jesus would first begin to heal, where Israel ceased to be a nation, where her light was extinguished, where the the, that's where the greatest light shone, and where Jesus began his public exactly. It is exactly the first place where Israel ceased to be a nation. And it's exactly the same first place Jesus began to heal. And I think that's very crucial for you and I to understand. That Jesus begins his ministry in the darkest place. So you'll know a lot of us, what winds up happening is we become Christians... And we ask Jesus into our heart, and our lives, and we give him the not-so-bad stuff first. And then we work up to the very dark stuff. And I'm wondering what if you just kind of reverse that, and you actually let Jesus start in the darkest, gloomiest place of your life first. See, a lot of Christians, what I've noticed is this. Is they will invite Jesus into their heart. They will invite Jesus into their life. But they will never invite Jesus into their pain. They'll never invite Jesus into that woundedness, that thing that that that, that, thi- that thing that happened to you, that it's so um, embarrassing that you just are going to take it to your grave. You're, you you won't invite Jesus into that dark place. You won't invite, or maybe there's something that you've done, some sort of sin that you're ashamed of, some form of mistake that you and you just you just can't get past that regret. And so you never really invite Jesus into the darkest place. What if you started by letting Jesus into the darkest place first, just like he did there? Secondly, what it teaches us about Jesus is that not only does Jesus begin his ministry in the darkest place, he is able to bring light for the most broken area of your life. Jesus meets you in your most painful and broken place, in the area that's most gloomy. God is able to bring healing from the darkest, gloomiest area of our life. And that's why I think you should celebrate Christmas. In our hemisphere, the 21st of December falls on what is the darkest time of the year. And that is the very symbol of what hope depicts. Darkness and its deep and its deepest time is there, and it's here at the center of your gloom that God has sent a Savior. I just want you to know something, is that you can trust Jesus with the most broken part of your life, that he wants to start beginning a healing ministry in there. He wants whatever sin has done, whatever brokenness has occurred in your life, he wants to start in that area and not only does he want to start there he wants to be he is able and capable of doing that listen i know that christmas can be a very trying season and i want you to know that as a pastor my heart goes out to those individuals who are alone this time of year who have to remember a significant loss at this time of year or have events that they can't really look forward to, but they can't really get out of going. And yet to be a part of that is just so devastating. I want you to know, I want, I want to say to you, it can be a very difficult time of year for those of us that struggle with it. But I also want to say that maybe it helps to remember that the first Christmas was a very difficult event. Everything about it, Speaks of inconvenience, the loss, abandonment, the betrayal, the jealousy. And yet, Scripture teaches us that in a world of sorrow, in a world where everything is going sideways and nothing is as it should be, God sent His Son to be a great light. So, if nothing else, this Christmas, no matter how bad it gets, I want you to know that God loves you and that there is no mistake, slip up, screw up, that, or anything else that is too dark or too broken for God to not heal. The power of the cross is bigger than your sin and your mistake. There's no rejection, death, or season of loneliness so gloomy that God cannot bring you back from it. And there's nothing that's been done to you that's so broken that God cannot heal. How do I know that? Because God brought healing out of the most desolate and darkest and gloomiest region that was hit first. He began his ministry there. And if nothing else, I think that is the reason to celebrate Christmas. You can trust him with the gloom in your life. Your pain... Your deepest regret and whatever you're ashamed of, and that, my friends, is a reason beyond fluff to celebrate Christmas. Amen, amen. Let's uh, let's close with one more song.